And he goes, I couldn't scare you when you were out there, but about 15 feet behind us, there was a whale chasing a school of fish. And I'm going, and I look out, and all of a sudden, I can see this big black whale coming up and out of the water, and fish jumping out in front of it like it was chasing him there. And he was like, "Get out of the water!" And so at that point, I learned my dad had common sense. You know, don't leave your ten-year-old in the ocean when whales are coming. Like that's rule number one I've learned in my life. Um, I have a ten-year-old now, so next when we go to the beach next week. I know, right? So those were things that my dad taught me. But as you get older, you begin to learn that, you know, your, your parents and other people in your life can provide you with great wisdom. Um, about two weeks before I was getting married, um, my dad and a group of his friends and men who had had a great impact in my life, um, Brittany had had all of her, like, wedding showers done, like her bridesmaids had done, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the guys kind of get just nothing before the wedding. So um, they did this kind of like man party shower-ish. It sounds really dumb, but they kind of did this thing for us. Um, and it was like every, all the guys that were there, they would bring me a, like some sort of tool, toolbox, something, and then they would give me a piece of advice heading into my marriage. And I still, to this day, 14 years later, can't use one tool that they gave me. Um, but I do remember the thing my dad told me that night. And I'll never forget... Um, he, he looked at me and he said, don't ever be afraid to tell Brittany that you're sorry. And I've, over my, over my, the last 14 years, I remember and I've watched my dad have to be able to tell my mom he was sorry. And, I, and I've seen him say those things and do that. But it's something I'll never forget that he told me is never be afraid to say you're sorry when you mess up. Because you're going to mess up more than her. You know, and that was kind of his, that was kind of his advice to me. And um, so I remember that and I take that in and I remember um, those advices. But there's other times we've received advice and lessons that we didn't necessarily know how valuable they were until later. Um, in uh, October of 1999, uh, it was my fall break. And I was my freshman year of college, and I was going home. And there was uh, a family friend of ours was the professional golfer Payne Stewart. Um, if you may have remembered, he wore the, the weird hat and the, the knickers and all that. Um, his daughter and my sister were best friends. They were in class together. And so he and my dad became really good friends. And um, through that, our families became friends. And 1999 was a great year for Payne Stewart. Um, and on Father's Day, he won the U.S. Open for the second time. Uh, that later on, at the end of that summer in the Ryder Cup, he was a part of the team of USA that um, came back for one of the largest comebacks of all time in the Ryder Cup to win on the, on the Sunday of the Ryder Cup. And so he had a great year. And so I, when, I was, when I was coming home, I was like, you know, I want Payne Stewart to sign an autograph for me so I can have it and just, you know, have it for forever kind of thing. And so when I, I saw him over fall break, and I was like, Payne, would you mind signing a hat for me? And he said, sure. And he signs his hat, and I, I have it. I took it back to college and hung it up in my dorm, and now it sits in my office in a trophy case. Um, and I, can, I look at it. I can pretty much see it every day. But he wrote this on there. It says, Lance, life is special. Enjoy. About two weeks to the day that he signed this, Payne Stewart and three other men, his business partners, were in a plane crash and lost their life. And I never really thought anything about why he signed what he signed, but it was literally two weeks later. And I just now it sits in my office. I see that every day as a reminder that, you know what, life is special. You never know what it's going to throw at you. You've got to enjoy life as it comes. And so we take the things we know are, you know, the, the advice from parents, things that we learn in the past, but we can, all, uh, you know, things that we learn later on, how valuable they are. But you can also learn from people's mistakes in their past. Um, there was a, a guy in 1966, his name was J. Paul Getty. J. Paul Getty was an American industrialist, and in 1966, the Guinness Book of World Records, um, he was awarded the richest man who had ever lived. 
at that point. He was worth, in 1966, $1.2 billion. In today's market, that would have been $8.4 billion in today's market, in today's economy. He was um, very frugal, and that's probably why he was the richest man that had ever lived. He also, um, but he was also known for the fact that um, he was a master negotiator. His grandson was kidnapped, and he was the one who negotiated the ransom. But on top of that, he was known for all of those things, but he was also known for his failed marriages. At the end of his life, J. Paul Getty said this, I would trade all of my wealth to have seen one of my six marriages succeed. And so you look at that and you look back and you think, man, you can learn advice from all different areas and stages of life. Whether it was your parents, your father, someone else that's had a, an impact in your life. Maybe it was, you know, it is something that from someone else that you learned later on how valuable it was. Or it was, maybe it was somebody from the past. You learn these things and pieces of advice and wisdom that you've received throughout all of your years. Well, as we start this series on Proverbs, we're going to be looking at wisdom that is being passed down to us. Um, over the next several weeks, this is what we'll be doing. And so... Um, a proverb itself, this is just a, a brief definition of what a proverb is, so we kind of have an idea of what we're all talking about when we mention proverbs, but a proverb is just a short statement that uses choice words to summarize a practical truth. Pretty simple. We've all had our favorite, maybe our own, our favorite quip or our, our favorite little uh, maxim that we would like to say, these proverbs that we live by. Um, I, I saw one um, this week, it's always one of my favorites, it says, um, you may have heard it before, but it says, uh, um, until you crit- never criticize someone until you walk a mile in their shoes. And then if they're still mad, you're a mile away and they have no shoes. You know, like things like that. That's a, you know, those are some of those we live by. I was just sharing one with Brian just a minute ago and he told me I, I should say it up here. Is that um, one of them was, uh, 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 let's see, a blind wife and a, deaf, and a deaf husband make for a happy couple. You know, so it was, you know, some, some things like that. You see those and you hear those things and you have these things. The early bird gets the worm kind of added things that you get, but the second mouse does get the cheese. So you have these different things that you hear about and you know about um, that are these Proverbs. But the book of Proverbs itself, even though throughout history there have been tons of collections and books written of wise sayings and, and proverbial sayings that have been collected, none are more valuable than the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. And the reason for that is, is because the book of Proverbs was God-inspired. It's a part of divine revelation. It is, and it relates to concerns that mankind has in everyday human life to the Almighty and Eternal God. So that's the difference between the book of Proverbs and any other book or any other, you know, thing that you could find on a bookshelf. The book of Proverbs was, de- was inspired by God. It was written by King Solomon. Most of it was written by King Solomon, who is considered to be the wisest man who ever lived. First Kings chapter 3 tells the story of how King Solomon received his wisdom. He was in a vision with God, and God told him, told Solomon, ask me for anything in the world that you may want, and I'll give it to you. Many would say wealth and prosperity, and they would say power and dominion over my enemies and all of these things. But Solomon's response to him was, I want a wise and discerning heart. And out of response to this, God was so pleased with Solomon that he he not only gave him a wise and discerning heart, but he gave him the wealth and prosperity and power and dominion over all of his enemies. So people came all over, from all over the world to hear the things that King Solomon would say. He, wrote, he had written or said over 3,000 different Proverbs in his lifetime. The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, only 500 were selected to be Scripture. 
uh, or 515. It was somewhere right in that, that area. But he wrote this book to impart wisdom to the nation of Israel. The reason was, was because the people and the rulers were living in foolishness. So he wrote this book to, to impart wisdom with the goal of helping them as well as helping us now acquire and apply God's wisdom to the decisions and activities we have in our daily life. The theme of this book obviously is wisdom. The word wise or wisdom is used 125 times over the 31 chapters. It is a, it is a big deal. And, and through that, it's, it's said if that we are to learn all the key proverbs of this book, then at our disposal would be all the wisdom we will ever need to make the right decisions in our day-to-day life. All from this one book. And the reason for that is, is because the truths that are in the book of Proverbs, the truths that it covers every aspect of your life, it, it talks about things like this. It talks about how to, how to manage your money and wealth. It talks about your friendships. It talks about how to um, establish relationships. It talks about building a happy home, avoiding temptation, controlling your emotions, disciplining your tongue, and it talks about um, uh, building godly character. And if you think about every scenario you find yourself in in life, it all probably falls under one of those six, seven things. Every, it may not be specific, but you can probably relate it under one of those things. But the basis of this entire book, will, will be based, or what we'll talk about today, is the first seven verses. The first seven verses of chapter one of Proverbs is, is kind of the foundation, and it sets up the rest of the book. As we read it, um, and they're going to be on the screen, we'll be in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. As we read it, you will see two translations on the screen at the same time. You'll see the NIV, and then you'll see the NLT underneath it. Um, The reason I put the NLT on there is just because the way it's worded makes it sound a whole lot easier to read. It has nothing more than... um, it's, there's nothing more to it or anything like that. It's just, for me, it was a little bit easier to read and understand. So you'll see the top and you'll see the bottom underneath it. And as we get to verses 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, you will also see some words highlighted in yellow. Um, those words um, that are highlighted, these represent the purpose of why Proverbs was written. There are six or seven words and reasons that the purpose of Proverbs is written. So as we read those together, you will see those things. There's nothing, um, I'm not drawing attention to anything. Those were other than the most commentaries will tell you the reason that Proverbs was written is so that the reader would be able to understand these things. So here we go. Let's read it together. Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. If you look at verses 2 through 6, and if you, if you were to just glance back at it on your Bible, you will notice that it, it mentions the purpose of the book of Proverbs and the, the effects that it will have for those who understand the purpose. If you, if you see those, the words that were highlighted, just to bring them back to your mind, were words, the purpose was for us, the readers, to be able to attain wisdom, discipline, understanding, prudency, which means subtlety, knowledge, and discretion. 
Those are words that the readers, the purpose for us in reading the book of Proverbs is for us to be able to attain those. And if we do, the effect that that will have on our life, according to verse 6, is that we will have understanding and be able to counsel ourselves through life. That was the purpose. That's, what, that's why Proverbs was written. And then we get to verse 7, which is the theme verse for the entire book. Verse 7 was the one that is, it is, it is what the rest of the book of Proverbs is, is centered on. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord, that statement is made over 18 other times throughout, and throughout the book of Proverbs. And it, that verse is repeated in chapter 9, verse 10, when it says this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So it flip-flops the word wisdom and knowledge in, in, chapter, one and verse, in chapter 1 and chapter 9. But really what that means is they're kind of interchangeable, because here's why. Knowledge is an understanding and having a head knowledge. Wisdom is applying that knowledge. So it's just taking what you know and applying it to your life. That is the definition of wisdom. So to say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and also the beginning of wisdom is once you fear the Lord, you apply that to your life and that is also wisdom. And so it's, it, they, they are hand in hand there. So here's what that means. In order for the purpose and the effects of the book of Proverbs to take hold in us, we have to have a healthy fear of the Lord. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to have a fear of the Lord? And truly fearing the Lord, this is what it means. That we acknowledge that he's the creator and we're the created. That he is the father and we are his children. He is the master, we are his servants. And because of that, we are to listen carefully to what he says and we're to obey his word. That is a healthy fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is more of a respect for who he is and understanding who we are not. When we understand who God is and who we are not, we have a healthy, reverent respect for him. It doesn't mean, uh, one, of the, one of the ways that it's written in some of the commentaries to explain what a fear of the Lord was, um, it is, they said it was kind of like a slave. It's not like a slave would be to a master. That's being afraid. And I didn't like that, that reference, uh, so I went to my team, our staff, the other day, and I was like, can you give me an unhealthy idea of what fear, an unhealthy fear? And I said, kind of like how a, a slave would be to its master, and they're like, an employee to a boss? And I was like, cool, and now you, don't ha- now you have to work on Monday. So that's the way it worked out. So, um, but, you know, it was one of those things, so I was like, that's the way to see it. But it's, the fear of the Lord is not like an employee would have towards their boss, but it's more like a child would have towards their parent. Um, every child has a, a healthy fear of their parent because they know that they can be that their parent can get them in trouble. But the reason that we have a healthy fear of our parents is because we also know that our actions can hurt them. We respect them enough to know that. And so for, with God, it's the same way. We know that at the, the snap of a finger, at the sound of his voice, God could end the entire world. But that's not why we fear him. We fear him because he is holy. And we fear him because we know what he did for us. And have, if we were to fall short of that, we know that, that that causes him hurt and it causes him pain. And so the, the, the theologian, um, Charles Bridges, he said it like this. And it's going to be on the screen for you. So you can kind of, I think reading it helps um, us understand this a little bit better. So Bo, we're going to throw this one up there um, as you're talking back there in the back and not paying attention to me. Hey, Bo. We're going to throw this next slide up there for me. Thank you. Um, we're going to, it's, Charles Bridges says it like this. It is the, the fear of the Lord is an affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. 
Because he knows his wrath is so bitter, but his love is so sweet, that henceforth springs an earnest desire to please him. But because of the danger of coming up short by our own weakness and temptations, we have a holy watchfulness and fear that we might not sin against him. Here's what that means. We recognize that we are God's child. And that the only, way, that the only thing that we can do is bow to our knees in reference of who he is. And our fear is that we would live a life that would not be a reflection of him. That we would, that we would choose ourself over him. And so a, a true fear of the Lord is choosing Christ. And, and every day when you wake up, you have a choice. You have a choice of waking up and choosing Jesus and fixing your eyes on him and running after him. Or you have the, the choice of waking up and say, today I choose me. And what happens when we choose to, when we end up choosing ourselves, we find ourselves far from God. But when we, when we choose the Lord and we fix our eyes on him and run after him, we have this healthy fear of God and we, that is when we begin to understand and have knowledge and have wisdom. So, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and it's the beginning of knowledge, to love, which means that we are to love and respect God so much for who he is and realize who we are not, and if that drives us to turn away from our sin and run after him, then how do we live? What does our daily response look like? And in verse 7, it, it kind of begins, uh, to me it tells us that it begins with a personal commitment to Christ. To fear the Lord means you have a personal commitment to, to Christ. And in verse 7, the end of the second half of verse 7, Bo, if you want to throw verse 7 back up there just for me for a second. The second half of it says, fools despise wisdom and, and destruction. If you, if you look at it um, from this standpoint, the rest of the, the book of Proverbs has this comparison. There's the comparison of what wisdom looks like and what foolishness looks like. And it's a common theme throughout all of the books. Is this wisdom versus folly or foolishness. But foolishness is presented throughout the whole book as man's innate human nature to please his own desires and without the help of God will head down a dangerous and destructive path. That's what foolishness looks like in this, throughout this book. However, wisdom, on the other hand, is presented as God's gift to us. And, is a, and it's the path of life that God intends us to take. So you see this balance back and forth of what it's supposed to be like. But the, the reality is both wisdom and foolishness both want control of our lives. They both want to take control of our life. So we have to make a choice every day. Which one is it going to be? And we know when we're going to choose the fear of the Lord. We know when we're going to choose wisdom because those are the times that we are in community with one another. Those are the times that we are reading scripture on our own. Those are the times that we are sharing and, and, and have a, a accountability in our life. But we also know those times that we're going to choose, choose foolishness and choose self because those are the times when we try to go through life on our own. Those are the times that we, we find ourselves choosing other things than our time with the Lord. And we find ourselves so far apart that we, we, it's hard for us to fix our eyes on Jesus because we haven't seen him in a while. And we haven't seen his word and we haven't been a part of his word. So it's a choice. See, King Solomon, the author of this book, he's a great example of this. The wisest man who ever lived, when he started his reign... He, was, he started it in wisdom, but the end of his reign was in foolishness. And he ended his reign in destruction. The very things that he warned against in this book were the things that brought him to, to an end. 
He warned. He spends a whole chapter, and then there's different times throughout the other chapters that he warns against being with immoral women. And, but King Solomon, in an attempt to achieve his political goals, in an attempt, uh, an attempt to keep peace within his kingdom, an ally, he tried to ally with other countries by marrying the princesses of, that, of those countries. At the end of his life, he had a thousand different wives and or concubines. J. Paul Getty said, I just I wish I could make six, one of six work. You know, I, thought, I can't even imagine, you know, what that, what that must have been like. And as you, can, as you would imagine there, they all led his heart astray. They all led his heart away from God. He also teaches throughout the entire book of Proverbs to train up your child in the way they should go. He teaches about, uh, about um, teaching your son to have wisdom, but it was King Solomon's son who split the kingdom. Because when he was to listen to his wise um, advisors and counsel, he chose to listen to his peers instead. For, for whatever reason, he chose his peers, and as a result, the kingdom was split. So, if you, so here's what that tells me. Even if you know that you're wise, even if you've been known to make wise decisions, if you do not constantly fix your eyes on Jesus, you're susceptible to fall too. If the wisest man who ever lived can fall and have destruction the way King Solomon did, then you and I can as well. So Romans tells us to, if you think you are strong, it says, if you think you are strong, then be careful not to fall. And I think that's wise advice for all of us. If we think we're okay, if we think we're doing okay, it's in those moments when, the de- when, when Satan is going to come at us hardest. When we think everything is good. So if we take all of this and we understand this, how do we live? What do we do? The Apostle Paul um, in Ephesians gives us a great example on how we're supposed to live. In Ephesians 5, 15, I know we're veering off of Proverbs, but it relates very well. He's, Paul said this as he was writing to the people of Ephesus. He said, be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make mo- the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. See, choosing to follow Christ is not ever, has never been, and never will be a casual thing. It is, a, it is a full-on thing. It is a decision that you have to make every single day to follow after Christ. And it doesn't mean that it's, the scriptures never tell us that following Christ is going to be easy. In fact, every book in the New Testament, at least one verse, tells us that we will receive persecution if we follow Christ wholeheartedly. At least once in every book of the New Testament. So following after Christ is not going to be an easy thing. In fact, it's going to be very, very difficult. So we have, to, we have to watch our step because we know that it will be easy for us to stumble. But what comes from this passage, I think what Paul provides us with, is something that um, Andy Stanley refers to as the greatest question ever. Um, he wrote a book um, about it called The Best Question Ever. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Um, the Best Question Ever. But Paul, and he uses this passage as his, as his primary passage throughout the book. But it asks this question, it provides a filter for us to evaluate our everyday decisions. How are we, how are we living in wisdom? And the, great, and the best question ever, according to Andy Stanley, is this. What's the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do? Because as you read through scripture, there will be certain things that happen in your life that are not specifically going to be addressed in scripture. There was nothing in scripture that told me that I would needed to marry Brittany Mitchell. There was nothing in scripture that told me that. There was nothing in scripture that told me that I was supposed to go to Mississippi College. 
There was nothing that told me that specifically in the scripture that said I need to move to Birmingham, Alabama from Orlando, Florida after 31 years. There was nothing in scripture that said those exact words. But what I was able to take, I was able to take the knowledge and the application of wisdom of the things that God has taught me and I was able to apply those to my life to, to gain wisdom. And able to understand the wise thing to do. Now there have been times in my life where I've definitely not made the wise decision. And I, I think we could all say that. But that is the idea, that is the purpose behind it. So when we take that knowledge that we've attained, and we, in the scripture that we know, and we practically put it into practice, that is when we begin to live wisely. But have you ever noticed the way that we actually make decisions? When we, it comes time to a tough spot, when we're, when we're not really sure what to do, this kind of begins, this is kind of the way we answer our tough situations. The first question we ask, is there anything wrong with it? Not a bad question. It's just not the right question. Not, and not at first, at least. Because we'll ask, the, is it illegal? No. Is it immoral? No. Is there anything that says, thou shalt not in Scripture? And if you say no, then we're like, thou shalt will then. And so that's our idea of what we should do. But in, and those are not necessarily bad things. But it's, it, we're asking the wrong question. Because if we're asking if there's anything wrong with it, what we're essentially asking is, what's the most I can get away with without stepping over the line? How close to the edge of the cliff can I get without falling over? And as a believer, what that question is, is what's the most sin I can get away with without it actually being sin? That's kind of where we find it. It's the, it's the question every teenage boy has ever asked, is how far is too far? And I, my response to that is, you're asking yourself the wrong question. Because if you're asking what's the most you can get away with, or what's the, what's the worst I can do and it still be okay, you're missing the point. The question that we're to be asking is, what's the most I can do to be glorifying God in every situation that I find myself in? So when we ask the question, if we realize most of the regrets we have in our life, most of the sticky situations, conundrums, whatever you want to call them that we find ourselves in, it could have been avoided by just asking ourselves, what's the wise thing to do in this moment, and then acting upon it. And that's the tough part. Most of the time we know what the wise thing to do is, but we, we have a hard time acting upon it. So... Here's the way that you can determine, kind of three ways that you can determine what's the wise thing to do. You look back at your past experiences. Look back to your past. What, in my past, these are the situations I've been in the past. This is what I've learned in the past. These are the things that God has taught me that I've learned from other people, advice I've received. Based on my past experiences, is this, is this the wise thing to do? Then you look at your present circumstances. Are my circumstances different now than when I was in the past? Um, for example, uh, when I turned eight or when I graduated high school, um, my dad bought me a car um, before I went off to college. And I, you know, here I am, 18 years old. The car that I want, I want a, I want a Ford Mustang. And for some dumb reason, my dad bought me as an 18 year old a brand new Ford Mustang. It was awesome. I pulled up on the college campus and I thought I was the man. And then like after like three weeks of being in college and I wanted to go places with people, only one other person could fit in my car. So, I mean, it was cool, but it was, it was after like a year and a half, I, I didn't like it anymore. But then when we, you know, got married and needed, and, you know, started having kids, you know, I needed to buy a new car and a Ford Mustang didn't cross my mind because my current circumstances were very different than my past experience. And so we ended up with something a little bit bigger that we could fit our kids in and put car seats in and all those kind of things. So our past, ex so we learned from our past experience, we looked at our current circumstances, and then thirdly, what are your future hopes and dreams? 
Where do you see yourself one month from now? Where do you see yourself one year from now? Five years from now? Ten years from now? And is this decision going to affect those things? Andy Stanley in his book, he says it like this, Never sacrifice what you want most for what you want in the moment. Never sacrifice what you want most for what you want in that moment. Because the reality is for us, it's never going to be good enough for us to just be educated on the knowledge of what Scripture says. It's good for us to be educated. We need to know what Scripture says. But we have to apply that knowledge and live it out in our everyday life. We need the ability to use our knowledge. And that's how we attain wisdom. Because just because you're a believer and just because you claim to walk and live by faith doesn't give us an excuse to turn our mind off and to stop thinking. But God gave us our mind to understand that, understand what he says in scripture so that we can use it and apply that. So that we can walk as the wise did, not, not the unwise. Biblical wisdom, as we finish up, is this. It begins with the right relationship with the Lord. Every day it's the choice. Are we going to wake up and are we going to turn our eyes to Jesus and run after him? Or are we going to choose self? And the beautiful thing about biblical wisdom was that it was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Every day, all the qualities of wisdom that we are striving to have were seen in Christ in his earthly walk. 1 John 2.6 tells us that whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That's a very tough statement. That's a very tough verse to follow. But if we're going to have the fear of the Lord, and that's going to be the beginning of knowledge, and that's going to be the beginning of wisdom, we must try to mimic our life as Christ did while he was on earth. Yes, I know he was perfect, and I know he was without mistake. But for us to have wisdom and to attain that is to fix our eyes on him and run after him and be just like him in every way possible. It's a lot. That's a lot to ask, and that's a lot to do. But it is, our, it is our desire to strive after him and to be more like him and to run after him on, an, on, a, on a daily basis. So as we look at the book of Proverbs over the next several weeks, you'll notice that these passages, there's very few chapters that are thematic. They don't, they don't, all the whole chapters don't necessarily go together. Um, there will be one verse we'll talk about money while the next one's talking about a, a relationship and the next one is talking about, you know, controlling your tongue. Like, they don't flow together. But as you read through these, and we want to encourage you, you know, the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters in it. Uh, I believe um, this month has 31 days, um, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, as we go through this, there's a chapter a day for your quiet time. We're on July 2nd, so just today, if you want to read the chapter 1 and chapter 2, you'll be caught up. But a chapter a day for the rest. And, and take a verse, maybe it's two or three verses from each one, and you can apply that to your life as you're moving forward. And how, how can I take this and know it says something great, but how can I use that and apply it in the way I'm going to live my life today? That's what we're looking for. That is, the, that is understanding Scripture and then applying it to your life, and that is the way we obtain godly wisdom. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the things that you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity to be in here and to, and to teach your word. Um, Lord, I pray um, for each of us as we, as we live our life that it will not just be about ourself and our own desires and our own wants and our own needs, but it will be about how we, can, how we can run after you and be more like you on a daily basis. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.